one of the questions, uh, were actually several questions that were condensed into this topic today. What does prayer actually accomplish? What is prayer? What does it mean? What should we expect? And, and so that's where we're headed today as a part of this uh, Frequently Asked Questions series. Our congregation submitted questions a few weeks ago, and we compiled those, and that, uh, and that made up this series. So uh, let's watch the, the promo video for Frequently Asked Questions. Some serious questions, aren't they? How many of you, and you don't, have to, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you would say with me, you know, when you're, when you're younger, maybe you thought you had a lot figured out, maybe you thought you had answers, and then as you get a little older, you start to think like, hmm, maybe I'm not quite so sure. Anybody resonate with that? Does that ring true? And you feel like, and the older I get, sometimes the less I know. And, and, and so that's kind of the spirit that we're coming at this series with, that, you know, we, we uh, know the, an- the right answers to believe, and I'm a Christian pastor, I want to follow Jesus, I love the Bible, I believe intelligent people can take the Bible seriously, and at the same time, you go through life, don't you, and, and you encounter experiences that just kind of challenge some of those, those long-held beliefs and it's just a part of the maturity process, just part of getting older. We're a portable church, obviously, and so we push carts around and, and things break. And so one of our carts back here had a screw that was missing today. And so I went looking for it and couldn't, couldn't find it. And then I went to my truck and I got um, a bag of random screws out of my truck. And somebody saw me put, and by the way, I found one that fit. And somebody said to, to me, you are officially an old man when you have a bag of random screws. You are officially old, and I'll wear it as a badge of honor. That's fine with me, Um, because it worked out, and we have something that's fixed now. But it's just a part of the maturity process, that we go through life, and some of the answers that we thought were easy, maybe are not uh, easy uh, anymore. And so you submitted 46 questions over the past month, and we condensed those questions as much as possible into four categories, which some of them don't fit as neatly as the others. And today, the question we're exploring is, what does prayer actually accomplish There were five questions submitted that had something to do with prayer. Here are some of them, and these aren't on the screen. I'll just read them for you. God, why are you so selective with miracles? Isn't that a good question? Another question, God, why do you not feel like you are present to people who do not believe or to those who pray for healing, etc.? Maybe another way of putting that, 
is sometimes God feels distant. God, why do you feel distant sometimes? Another person quoted a scripture, Psalm 139, 16. says, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. That's the, the quote. And then the question is, so what is the purpose of free will? How does that fit in with this? Does it matter? Do we really have free will? And so if I'm going to summarize those questions, I would think it would be something like, why don't miracles happen more frequently? Maybe like they did in the Gospels when we, when we read about Jesus healing people. Why does God seem distant sometimes? Why do we pray sometimes and it feels like your prayers just hit the ceiling and fall back down? You ever have, you ever have that feeling? And I'm assuming that the person is thinking of the kind of miracles that happen in the Bible. Some people might say, well, every day you wake up is a miracle. And I, I think that's a good way of viewing life, but they're probably thinking of the, the kind of miracles they see in the Bible. And can I influence God with my prayers? If, if everything's predetermined and I pray, well, then what's the point? Do you see where that person's coming from? Because if, so can I influence God? Does God change God's mind in, in response to prayer? So I thought these were amazing questions. I also want to say that if you're hurting right now, and maybe you're praying for physical healing or a relationship or a financial situation or just anything, that you're praying for somebody you love, that this is not just an intellectual, abstract, theological question, is it? This is something that you are feeling because there's somebody in pain, maybe it's you or somebody you love, and you're praying for some kind of an answer, some kind of a breakthrough. And as we talk today, I just want to acknowledge that and be aware of that, that this isn't a nerdy theological discussion. To some of us in here, some of us are really going through things and we're wondering, you know, what, is, what does prayer mean? What does faith mean in this, uh, in this experience that I'm going through? So I just want to say that. But Christians believe that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. And the Jews' uh, belief in the Messiah is that the Messiah would be a promised deliverer of the Jewish people uh, who would be sent by God and rule as a king and make the world right to see the injustice in the world, to see what's wrong in the world, the sickness in the world, everything, and make it right. That this would be God's representative who would come here and make things right. That was the view of the Jewish Messiah. And there's a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 35 about this future uh, time when God would intervene. It says, uh, and again, not on the screen, I'll just read it. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. So from Isaiah 35, 700, 800 years before Jesus was born, there's a prophecy about the, what, the, what the Messiah would be like. And then when we read the Gospels, we see that Jesus performed miracles like that. The blind see, the, the, the deaf can hear, people who were not able to speak can speak. And, and um, there was this belief within Judaism that, that miraculous signs and wonders would accompany the arrival of the Messiah. Uh, Chabad, which is a Jewish renewal movement, said Mashiach, or Messiah, will usher in an era of peace and prosperity which will benefit all of humankind. The prophets depict the Messianic era as a miraculous one, and the Midrash and Talmud are replete with statements regarding fantastic miracles that will be commonplace during the Messianic era. Whether these prophecies are literal or allegorical, uh, is the subject of debate among Jewish philosophers. After the time of Jesus and the Kabbalah, there is this belief among rabbis that the Messianic age would be a time of wonders. I do have this quote. Um, one uh, rabbinic source said, women would give birth painlessly in the future, hens lay eggs continuously, and food appear in abundance. I'm sure women would be okay with ch painless childbirth, 
the hens laying eggs continuously thing. I found that interesting. You know, that's just, that's not my dream. As I'm thinking about the future messianic age and some utopia, you know, for this rabbi, it included a continual supply of eggs. But there was this belief that when the Messiah comes, there will be miracles, miraculous signs and wonders that this person comes from God. And so Christians read the Gospels, and we see those kinds of miracles taking place in the life of Jesus. And it's only natural then that Christians who read the Bible and love Jesus and they want to follow Jesus would ask questions like, well, wait a second. I don't think I see the same kind of miracles in my daily life with frequency or at all that I see Jesus performing in the Gospels. As Jesus, you Christians believe, is this promised Messiah and, and miracles accompanied his arrival and, and we see signs and wonders there. I just don't feel like I see those in this world, in my life, the way that we read about in the Gospels. And then there's more to it than that, because in John chapter 14, Jesus tells his disciples, believe me when I say I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves, signs and wonders. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. So it seems to indicate that we would do greater miracles than what Jesus did, but because I'm going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so the Father may be glorified in the Son, verse 14, you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. That's, I mean, that is a, that's a faith-building statement, that if you just pray to me, ask anything in my name, I'll do it, and you'll do even greater miracles than the things I did. And so, it's only natural that Christians who want to be thinking people and compassionate people would read the Gospels and look at everyday life and say, man, I don't think I see these kinds of miracles with frequency. There are traditions of Christianity, there are denominations in the United States that do expect these kind of miracles and who claim that they happen with frequency in, in their services. And, and there are people who are sincere and they do their absolute best to live into what they believe is a lifestyle that Jesus promised, that we could do greater miracles. We also see faith healers on TV. The guy in the white coat who smacks people on the head and they fall down and, and, and then pass the offering plates and lots of people. And then there's a corporate jet involved and, and people look at that and they think, hmm, it just makes this a little harder to believe now. Some friends of mine grew up in a, a charismatic tradition, a charismatic and Pentecostal tradition, and there's a whole... Uh, there's a lot of different types of, of those churches as well. And, and in their worship services, they spoke in tongues. They prayed for divine healing. People would come forward for healing. And there would be people who claimed pretty much every week. It was a big church, but there are people who claimed every week that they were divinely healed, miraculously healed of, of a disease. And this particular denomination, they downplayed speaking in tongues a little bit. And so they would view themselves as different from other charismatics. But it was kind of the new thing for a while in the 80s and 90s. And... The leader of that ministry got older, like we all do, and this person who had prayed for divine healing and taught divine healing and had built a movement on that started to develop heart problems, and then he was diagnosed with cancer, and it threw that denomination into a crisis of faith, and understandably so, because they had built their movement on this belief that God performs miracles with frequency like Jesus did in the Gospels. And now our leader has cancer. 
And in 1996, uh, shortly before he, he passed away, he wrote a book called Living with Uncertainty, My Bout with Inoperable Cancer. And he admitted that he struggled with depression, and I commend him for his honesty in, in what he wrote. He says uh, in the book, sometimes our experiences don't fit with our understanding of what the Bible teaches. Anybody want to say amen to that? On the one hand, we know that God is sovereign, and that he sent Jesus to commission us to pray for and heal the sick. On the other hand, we know from experience that healing does not always occur. Why would God command us to heal the sick and then choose not to back up our act, so to speak, by not healing the person for whom we pray? This can be downright discouraging. As I learned years ago in my own congregation when I began to teach on healing, it was nine months before we saw the first person healed. The temptation was to withdraw from practicing Christ's commands or at the other extreme to drum up a false bravado to convince God to do what we thought he ought to do. I commend this guy for his honesty, John Wimber. I commend him for his honesty. Doesn't that describe the experience that so many Christians have, including in, in movements uh, like his that, that kind of play up, you know, divine healing? So I always pray for people. When they request prayer, when somebody's sick, when somebody's going through a hard time, I always pray for them. I think that we, that we should. I think we have an obligation to pray for each other and pray for miracles and pray for healing and pray for some kind of breakthrough and pray that God would intervene in some amazing way and do something. And at the same time, I also thank God for doctors and nurses and medical research. And, I, and, I would, and I've never been faced with this, but I would never just pray for somebody who's not willing to seek medical you know, help. I've never had anybody say anything like that, but my assumption would be if I'm going to pray for somebody, I want them to go to the doctor. I want them to avail themselves of everything that your counselors or psychiatry, avail themselves of every medical you know, piece of, uh, of research available as they seek healing. But I always pray for people. And at the same time, I have these same kind of questions because if I'm going to be honest, my batting average is pretty low when it comes to the number of miracles that I see with no other explanation versus the number of times that we pray for things. And that's just me being, a, a, hopefully, a thinking, honest person who wants to follow Jesus. And so when you read a passage like, if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it, well, that's challenging to people's faith. So what does it, what does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? Well, I don't think it's the typical prayer. I don't think it's a typical prayer that, that you know, those of us in the Southeast Valley uh, tend to pray. Back, I think, in 2005, there was a pastor named Louis Giglio who gave a talk in a, uh, a youth conference. And he said, we typically pray four prayers. God, uh, forgive me. God, bless me. God, be with me. And God, protect me. Or protect people I love. Those are just kind of the four prayers that we just tend to pray. If you're a, if you're a praying person, if you're the typical person, that's probably you know, something like what you tend to pray. And of course, we want God's forgiveness of sins. Nothing wrong with that. That's in the Lord's Prayer. And of course, we want God to be with us and present with us. And of course, we want God to protect our loved ones and keep them safe and heal them. Of course, we do. Of course, we want blessings, which usually means money. Let's be honest. As, as the typical Americans, we think of blessings as money often. And of course, we want those things. And of course we want to be spared from pain and, and to experience pleasure. Of course we want to pray in ways that help us to avoid pain and, and be comfortable as much as possible. And Louis was making the point though that for, for many of us, that's what prayer is. That's our experience of prayer. It's asking God for things in a few categories 
and we expect God to spare us from pain and, and you know, kind of give us a life of pleasure. And we want to be comfortable. Now, there are at least two issues with that. The first one is if we really expect to live our lives by avoiding pain and only experiencing pleasure, good luck with that. That sounds really good. And if you're a televangelist or you want to build a big church and you want to raise a lot of money and you want that corporate jet to protect you from all the, you know, the peons that fly, you know, the Southwest or whatever. Have you seen some of these guys that claim that God wants them to have a corporate jet? Have you seen this? And so, yeah, I mean, if, if that's your goal, then sure, just promise people, hey, you just have faith and God's going to do it. Whatever you ask in his name, he's going to do it. And, and of course, send me the money and I'll pray for you too. And I'll send you a hanky or something. And I, well, yeah, I mean, it sounds great. But it's just that reality happens. Like it did for John Wimber. God bless him for his honesty. And life comes at you fast. And then you, as you get older, you realize, that, well, things just aren't quite that easy. Jesus was crucified. He was tortured to death. John the Baptist was beheaded by a king who behaved like Jeffrey Epstein. You, you encounter absurdity. Corruption, horrible things happen, inexplicable things, ridiculous things. You're like, God, why is this happening to me? You say to your friends, like, I can't believe this is even happening. That, that kind of thing happens in real life. That's a part of everybody's life. The second issue with that kind of prayer is it is an adolescent kind of relationship with God. Where I have this laundry list of things that I'm just asking God for all the time. And it's like a, you know, a teenager begging for money begging to borrow the car. And my prayer life is just, God, can I have this and this and this and this and this and it all make me feel good and I can, I can avoid pain and, and be comfortable all the time. And I mean, but what kind of relationship is that with anybody where it's all one-sided and just asking for stuff all the time? Especially stuff that, you know, sometimes is shallow. Sometimes it's the prayer of our hearts. We don't want to suffer, of course. We don't want loved ones to suffer, of course. Of course not. That makes you a compassionate person. But if, if prayer is just a laundry list, what kind of a relationship is that? And so, as Steve said, we pray the Lord's Prayer here and out loud together, and, and we're going to pray it now. It's going to be up on the screen. We're going to take a look at the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to see something in the Lord's Prayer that is a pattern for what prayer could look like and that maybe could help us answer this question that we have today. So I invite you to say it out loud. If you don't know it, obviously the words are on the screen. Let's pray it right now. Our Father, who art in heaven hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. There are seven petitions in the Lord's Prayer, seven requests. The, our Father who art in heaven, that's an introduction. That's an address. Hallowed be thy name. That's number one. Number two, thy kingdom come. Number three, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread is number four. Forgive us our trespasses is number five. Lead us not to temptation, number six, but deliver us from evil, number seven. Seven petitions. How many of those petitions have something to do with our physical needs? One. Number four, give us this day 
our daily bread. Does that mean that getting your daily bread is not important? Absolutely not. Does not mean that? It's one of the seven. It's, it's in the prayer. And, and it's, it's, it's a prayer for food. It's a prayer for survival. It's a prayer for shelter. It's a prayer, I would, I would say healing is involved in that. It's a prayer for health, for wellness, for the, for the physical and, and mental and emotional needs of the people you love. It's, it's very important. It's important enough that it's in the seven. But is it six of them? It's one. One of the seven. And so maybe for us, it's not downplaying the importance of praying for things that we need, but it's seeing it in a larger context. That perhaps prayer is far more than, and this is the model prayer Jesus gives us, prayer is much more than just that list and that we often think prayer is. And notice that it's give us for the next 50 years our daily bread. God, give me a massive 401k. God, uh, may I have no worries about anything in my life ever again. Is that the prayer? It's give us, say it with me, this day, our daily bread, this day, this day. If you are the typical American just like me, do you find it hard to just concentrate on this day? Or does worry and anxiety and fear about these needs creep in to the extent that you even find it, if, if you're anything like me, you find it hard to even be present all the time and not have your mind drift to the concerns of life, to be distracted, to be worrying about the future, to be thinking, well, this person did this and now I'm going to do this and, and what do I do about this thing that happened? I got to make a plan here and I got to have a, a plan B, you know, A, B and C and a contingency plan for that. And, and what if this happens? What am I going to do? And, and it just seems like even when we're with people we love, that our minds can drift off to the worries, the concerns of life, as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, instead of give us this day our daily bread. Hannah, uh, my wife Hannah and I have two boys, eight years old and three years old. And in the gear household, the latest craze is what we're calling living room kickball. Now, if you're the kind of person who likes to keep an orderly home and keep things clean and things unbroken, like my wife does and I do too, you hear living room kickball and your eye just starts to twitch a little bit. But that's the latest thing in the gear household. You know, we, we tell them not to throw a ball and we have breakable things. But when you have two little boys and it's 185 degrees outside and they want to get their energy out, they come up with ways to do that. And so they invented this game that we call living room kickball. And, and you'd expect how it works. You know, they have a little plastic light ball and one rolls it to the other one. He kicks the ball and then he has to run around the ottoman between the couch and the ottoman and run past the TV and then get back to the spot he kicked it from. And when he does, he, he's got to run. The other one tries to throw the ball at him and, and, and get him out. The throwing the ball part is when stuff gets broken, obviously, but that's the game. They run around the ottoman and, and uh, get back to where they kick the ball from and it's a run. So when I walk in the door, there is no hello daddy. When I, as soon as I open the door now, it's let's play kickball every single day. Now, and, and I'll just confess, probably to my wife's chagrin, I do. I do play living room kickball, and she's gotten involved a couple times as well. And here's why. Ryan, five years ago, would have rarely played living room kickball. Because Ryan, five years ago, believed that I always had to have my mind somewhere else. Planning, working on things, 
coming up with answers, worrying about things I couldn't fix anyway, being distracted, always being somewhere else, even if I'm present, being somewhere else. And, and through, I've shared a little bit about this. I'm sure I'll share more in the future, but uh, that is not, that's not any way to live, and it's not any way to live with people that you love. And you want to have any kind of a relationship with them. And that has, that has dire consequences for your life. And so I decided a few years ago that I didn't want to live that way anymore. And so now, when, when the boys say, let's play kickball, most of the time, I'll join in. My right knee is sore right now from where I planted to go around the ottoman. It's a small price to pay. It's, it's, I'm willing to live with the pain, play through the pain, to have this time, this day, with my boys who are growing up so fast, they change you know, by, the, by the week. Because I have this day with them. And if you find it hard to be present, to be there mentally and not be somewhere else, even with the people you love, Jesus teaches us something that can be absolutely freeing to us. Part of whatever prayer means, it means this day. This day. God, help, help me with, with the needs that I feel that are real. We're not downplaying physical needs. We're certainly not downplaying healing and suffering. Some of you are hurting. We're not downplaying that at all. But within the larger scope of prayer, though, Jesus teaches us to pray this day, here, now, with the people that I love, not somewhere else. And I've come to believe that many of our prayers really come from a desire to control. And how many, how many of you would agree with me that maybe the older you get, the more you realize we are in control of very little in this life? We like to think we are, and that gives us some illusion of comfort. But I, I think a lot of our prayers are an attempt at control. And if we're just going to press it further, I think a lot of people are religious or they're churchgoers, or they're spiritual, or whatever they call it, precisely because they believe that gives them the power to control. They feel like they can just pray to God, and it'll happen, and they don't have to, they don't have to worry, they don't have to fear. Because if I pray, God's going to come through for me, and, and everything's going to be all right, and my family's going to be safe, and nobody's ever going to get sick, and we're going to have plenty of money, and I can just control my life, because God loves me, and I'll just pray for something, that will happen, and then, of course, reality hits them in the face. And they're thrown into a crisis of faith. But I think, that, actually, I think that's why a lot of people are religious. Because it gives them some feeling of comfort. An opiate. And they feel like they're in control. And then I would say that's actually the opposite of biblical prayer. You could make a case that's actually sorcery. You're trying to manipulate spiritual forces to get what we want. Because praying in Jesus' name has to mean something like praying according to the character and mission of Jesus. So that he doesn't say, just ask for anything and I'll do it. That's not what the, that's not what the scriptures say. It says, if you ask for anything in my name, I will, I will do it. So to pray in Jesus' name, I think, means to, to somehow pray according to who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing in the world. And to, be, and to partner with Jesus, which is one of our, our values, to partner with God, to to make the world better, to make a difference with your life. Maybe praying in Jesus' name has something to do with that. If you feel like God is distant, 
or God doesn't hear you when you pray, or you're, you're worried because you're, you're praying for something, but you don't know if God's going to come through for you in the way that you hope. This, this is a prayer Jesus prayed that might give us insight into why that is happening and what does prayer actually accomplish and what does it all mean anyway. It's from Matthew 26. Jesus says, or the scripture says, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and he said to them, sit here while I go over here and pray or over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Are you going through something right now that is causing you to be sorrowful and troubled? Verse 38, then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Are you going through something right now? And if you were honest about it, you would say sometimes, I am overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Can you identify? And Jesus says, stay here and keep watch with me. He says to his friends, can you hang out with me and just kind of be here with me? Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. This cup of suffering, he's about to be crucified. This is the, the night he's going to be betrayed by Judas and he's going to be arrested and crucified the next day. May this cup of suffering be taken from me. God, if, if at all possible, could, could I not go through any more what I'm going through? I'm sorrowful to the point of death. If at all possible, could we just kind of turn the page on this? And then he says, yet not as I will, but as you will. And if there's anything as I've gotten older and collected, you know, a random bag of screws and, and wrestled with questions and people asking for prayer, which I always do, and sometimes amazing things happen, a lot of times they don't. One of the things that I have picked up is that this seems to be the big prayer that it's, it's good to ask God for things. That's a part of an honest relationship. And I absolutely do b believe in free will. And scriptures like the one we read where it says everything's foreordained, simple answer, but it's an honest one. The writers of scriptures were comfortable with uh, paradox. And we are really not. We're dualistic in our thinking. We want it either God ordains things or it's free will, one or the other. And they were comfortable with saying both. Rabbi Akiva was a famous rabbi in the time of Jesus and Paul. He said, when the apple falls from the tree, God caused it. It's also harvest time. They were comfortable with paradox in a way that we are not. And, and perhaps they were onto something. Because as you get older, you realize that not everything just fits into a neat category, does it? And I don't have all the answers. And, and asking for things is part of an honest relationship. And I believe sometimes God does intervene in amazing ways. I think I've seen that in my own life, not nearly as much as I would like. So asking for God for healing and 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 financial breakthroughs, and I think those are good prayers. But it's just that's one of the seven petitions in the Lord's Prayer. And then the big prayer is always, yet not my will, but yours be done. And the pain doesn't go away, does it? The next day, Jesus is crucified. But he went in willingly. Because his big prayer was, God, I want to be a part of what you're doing. 
I want, to, I want to partner with you. I'm not looking just to escape pain in my life. Of course we would all love that. Who wouldn't? Especially for people you love and you see them suffer, it might be harder for you than it is for them. Who wouldn't want to escape that? But that's just not what this life is. Jesus says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. What if when you're suffering and God seems distant, when you're praying in Jesus' name, and, and you're, you're sorrowful to the point of death, and you're saying, not my will, but yours be done, perhaps you are actually closer to Jesus in that moment than when everything's going great. On the cross, Jesus said, my God, my God, he quoted Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It may be times when you feel like your prayers are hitting the ceiling, and maybe you, you might even feel forsaken by God. It might actually be that time that you are closer to Jesus because that's the kind of stuff Jesus said that's the kind of thing Jesus went through as he prayed perhaps those are the times that you're closer and perhaps those are the times that we actually grow the most Richard Rohr who has uh, has been a I think a mentor and and um, um, a spiritual director to a lot of people from afar through his books and, and videos he writes in a book called Everything Belongs that prayer is seeing. Prayer is awareness. He writes that we are transformed and we become better people, not through the comfortable good times in life. Well, the times we consider good when we're not feeling pain. Maybe that's not even what good means, but we don't become closer to God and transformed through the good times in life, but through the dark times of life, actually facing the things we fear instead of running from them. He says, we seldom go freely into the belly of the beast unless we face a major disaster like the death of a friend or spouse or loss of a marriage or job. We usually will not go there. As a culture, we have to be taught the language of dissent. That is the great language of religion, religion in the positive sense. It teaches us to enter willingly, trustingly into the dark periods of life. The dark periods are good teachers. Religious energy is in the dark questions. Seldom in the answers. Answers are the way out, but that is not what we're here for. But when we look at the questions, we look for the opening to transformation. Fixing something doesn't usually transform us. We try to change the events in order to avoid changing ourselves. Man, what a powerful statement. We must learn to stay with the pain of life without answers, without conclusions. And some days without meaning. That, in the path, the perilous, dark path of true prayer. Perhaps prayer is being able to see and live in reality. Living in the moment, this day, with the awareness of what God is doing in the world and what the, with the awareness of what God is doing in me. Perhaps that's what true prayer is. Perhaps prayer is, is interconnected and, and in, uh, inextricably linked to following Jesus who goes into the suffering, who goes into the sorrow and says, not my will, but yours be done. Perhaps that's what true prayer is. Giving sermons can be challenging sometimes because you feel like you, you take a question like this, which is one of the ultimate questions of life, and then you've got a certain amount of time and you're supposed to tie it up with a pretty bow. And That's just not how it works with this, is it? Because we're talking about, 
What do we do in the most painful experiences of life? How do we deal with it? Uncertainty and fear and pain and in our lives, the people we love. And, and so what if prayer is seeing reality this day and not trying to run from it, but knowing that the Jesus who knows what it's like to be sorrowful to the point of death is with you and he's been there and he's there with you now and you're not alone. And what came after the crucifixion? A resurrection. And God specializes in in wringing whatever good God can out of bad, painful, horrible things. We'll talk more about that here in a couple of weeks. But God wrings good out of whatever, in whatever way possible, out of the pain that we feel. If we're open to that and we look for it, it doesn't mean that we thank God for all those things. We're We're not sadistic, but we just look for the good. What if prayer is being there and seeing that and being able to say, God, here's my honest request. I don't want to suffer. Please heal my loved one. Please help us, you know, in a financial situation. Please help with the job. Of course, all those things. And at the same time, that's one of the seven petitions. God, thank you for my life and, and, and help me, God, to forgive. And as I, you know, as you forgive me and, and God, not, not as I will, but as you will. Perhaps that's what prayer is. And if that's the case, then what does prayer actually accomplish? The total <laughs> transformation of our entire being. Are, are you with me? If, if, if that's what prayer means, sheesh, then it means that I'm transformed more into the image of Jesus as I try to follow him in the pain because I'm, I'm willing to just be there and he's with me and trust him.